Peter Hill Explains, where I invite you to join the science teaching conversation with me about... So we take up the uh, story of Charlemagne, chapter 5. This is the fifth episode. So I'm actually sticking a, a chapter, an episode. It's actually quite long. So <clears throat> we've got uh, Gauls being um, integrated by the Franks, a German tribe. Uh, the Romans have absorbed the Franks and Romanified them sort of 50-50 to preserve the empire. Then it's fallen apart. And then Clovis has just taken a large part part of it. Um, so Clovis is a small Frankish tribe, and he's more daring and stuff like that. With four thousand people, he's basically one like a series. Like you imagine a huge board game, he's actually like a monopoly deal. He's he's taking it all up. And so we're going to do chapter five called the Mervinigan Muro. Merovinigan kings. So this is the set of kings from uh, Clovis, and this is when you've got sort of Game of, Game of Thrones royalty king, the head of a tribe, as opposed to um, mayoral kings, which is the Charlemagne as a as a swap over from them. Okay, and so um, this is there on the outer of the. Um, Roman Empire, uh, whereas the Charlemagne is the new Holy Roman Empire. It's sort of a West has, has, has sucked them in. Okay, the details of the history of the Magovian period of Frankish history are extraordinarily complicated, and I agree there are so many plots going on, different kings and queens vying for power. Uh, it's just, just extraordinary. Um, happily, it is not all necessary for our purpose to follow them. We shall hope to be able to give clear, intelligible conception of the general features of history, which is enough for our purpose. Now, their overall purpose is this is a, a parson, and he wants to talk about the origin of the, the, the church, which is the Catholic Church, sort of here. Um, and there is superabundance of interesting episodes to enliven the narrative and to help. And this is sort of like it's, it's like if you're a Hollywood producer, you'd go too much to cut, too much. There's too much going on in this episode. Fix the characters of the time that people in the reader's memory. On the death of Clovis, his dominions were, after the German custom, dealt as if they had been the private possessions and divided among his sons Theodic, Claudemir, Chilbert, and Clothair. The kingdoms, however, were federative under one political law and had a common assembly which liberated on common affairs of the four states. So it was sort of like a democracy. They would vote for the king and stuff like that. So it was sort of like a limited political power. It's worthwhile to consult the map and take a little pains to obtain a clear idea of these divisions. For they occur again and again within minor variations during the whole subsequent history. So um, what happens is they divide, conquest, death, division, conquest, death, division. Theodoric, the eldest, had the lion's share of his Australia, the eastern, Australasia, A-U-S-T-R-A-S-A, Australasia, the eastern kingdom, so that's the actual German one the home of the Frankish nation, with some isolated territories south in the south of Gaul. His capital were Metz and Reims. Um, uh, 
the more recent conquest of Clovis, Nurist, uh, Nistasium, the Western Kingdom, and Burgundy were divided amongst three other brothers. The boundaries of the territories were not clearly made out. Clodmere's capital was Orléans, Orléans, and his territory comprised of the southern part of Nistrasium. Children's capital was Paris, uh, and the kingdom was the middle part of Nistrasium. Clotaire fell on the eastern part of Nistrasium, with Susson for his capital city. Uh, when we note Theodric was the son of an unknown but doubtless heathen mother, and he ruled over the German portion of the Frankish dominions, while Claudita ruled over the Gallo-Roman possessions. So Claudita's the um, the Orthodox um, Roman person. When we find that these three younger brothers were usually associated in their great military undertakings, while their half brother held aloof from them and carried out independent warlike expeditions. So it's really divided in two. Um, we shall recognise at once the early existence of political distinction between the Teutonic and Gallican portions of the Frankish Empire, which had an important influence on the whole subsequent history. The career of the Frankish conquest did not come to an end with the death of Clovis. His sons continued to extend the boundaries of the wide dominions that he had left them. At the outset, indeed, they had made good um, that which Clovis had won. Burgundy had reasserted its independence at, if and not a little before, the death of the conqueror. The three kings of Nistrasia combined against it. So this is, uh, Nistrasia is really France or something. had died in the first campaign and his brothers at once divided the dominions amongst him. So I don't know what Clodmere is. Where's Clodmere? Clodmere's capital is Orléans. His territory uh, is the southern part. Okay. Um, two of these sought, a, uh, okay, and their sons, two of his sons uh, sought asylum with their grandmother Claudita, who was living a life of retirement at Tours. Um, the two uncles shortly obtained possession of them under the pretense of restoring them to their father's kingdom and gave Claudita the choice of whether, so they could do two things. Uh, she would have her grandchildren dealt with by the scissors or the sword. Um, now, if you cut off the um, the hair of these early kings, they they've got no power whatsoever. It's a pretty amazing story. Let's read the thing. To cut the hair of a Macovian prince was to degrade him to the rank and make him incapable of reigning at least until his hair had grown again. Imagine if you gave him a toupee or something like that. It illustrates the fierce temper. Uh, even of the women of the Teutonic royalties, that the queen mother, the religious widow, who uh, shows for grandchildren death rather than degradation. Clothair took, uh, um, uh, took her at her word, Clothair word, and in spite of some feeble remonstrance from Chilpert, stabbed them both with his own hand. The third son, Clodmere, escaped the fate of his brothers, entered into religion, and is reputed to be the founder of St. Clair, Cloud. It has required uh, several further campaigns to conquer the Burgundians. Gondomer, the king, was deposed in 532, and the splendid country east of the Rome, uh, which its mixed population of Latins and Burgundians, was incorporated in the French Empire. So, I wonder what the Rome is. Rome is. Chilbert made war on the Visigoths ostensibly to avenge the insults offered to his sister Claudita, who 
who married Amit, king of the Visigoths. Oh, okay. And whose orthodoxy exposed her to persecution. Now, the Visigoths were Arians, and the Arians didn't believe in the mystery of the Trinity. They thought it can't be a mystery, don't worry. Almec was defeated and slain in the first battle. So, this is the, the king. It's real kill the king and you do everything. And the whole of Gallic possessions, except the narrow strip of Steptomanium, were incorporated into the Frankish Empire. Meantime, Theodic, which is um, Australian, this is in the crown, had been carrying on a war and effecting conquests in the other direction. The origin of his conquest of Thuringia affords one of the antidotes which will lighten the dry details of the narrative. Oh, well, there you go. Thuringians uh, now occupied a territory which the Franks had vacated a century earlier, and they went forth to the conquest of the new uh, seats of Gaul. Thuringia, by German custom of inheritance, uh, was at the time divided between two brothers, Baldrick and Hermanfred. A third brother, Bethair, had been already slain by Hermanfred and left uh, a daughter, Ragunda, of whom uh, we shall hear again, Ragunda. Wife of Hermanfred uh, was Almerberg, and niece of Theodoric the Great, the king of the Oscoth. Tactus has told us how the German races respected their women and took their advice in transactions of business of life. Uh, we find many illustrations of it in the Magovian age, in which women took part in affairs, exhibited all the ambition, political ability, unscrupulousness, and cruelty of men. The niece of the great Gothic king was dissatisfied with being queen of half a petty king kingdom. So, what's her name? Her name is Amalenberg. She's niece. Um, she had often, like Lady Macbeth, tried to rout her husband's ambition against his brother. One day, when the king was uh, and his companions returned from the hunt for the supper, they found only half the table covered with its cloth, laid uh, with its platters and cups, while the other half was bare. The queen replied to his angry questions that the king, who was content with half a kingdom, must be content with half a royal furnish, a royal board furnished. The scoff had its desired effect. The king prepared to war against his brother, and sought um, the powerful aid of the Australian king. Ah, well, that's going to be a danger because that's the um, the Frankish German king, uh, Theodoric. Theodoric took advantage of the civil war, helped Hemfrid conquest his brother, and then fell upon the conqueror and seized the whole country for himself. There you go. He planted strong colonies of Franks in their ancient seats, and thus gained great accession of strength, and obtained a foot heart in the heart of Germany, which had subsequently had subsequent important results. A little later, the Emperor Justinian was engaged in hostilities against Theodates, the king of the Ostgots, um, both uh, through the alliance and aids of Theodic, the Frank took the pay of both parties. He took the money uh, which the Emperor offered, and at the same time accepted the Theodates and the Ostgots' positions in Gaul. It is the country between the Rhine and the Alps, <coughs> uh, and the sea, and part of uh, Retium. Uh, shortly after, we find the Bavarians and Swabians lay beneath the Thurgans and Reitings acquisitions, recognised Frankish sovereignty. This is going here. The powerful king of Australasia died, which is Theodoric, in AD 547, leaving a sickly boy as an heir who died in six years childless. 
Chilbert, uh, who is now a feeble and childless old man, so Clare seized without opposition upon the whole of the Australian kingdom. And when Chilbert died, five years afterwards, AD 558, the whole of the dominion of Clovis, together with the great conditions, additions made to them, the sons were reunited under the hands of Clothair. So what happens is, I suppose, what you have is a time just after the king dies, and then you've divided amongst these brothers, and the brothers go pop, 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 and it's the oldest brother. You get a sufficiently distinct idea of the private life of the sons of Clovis. So uh, they retain their Teutonic preferences for country life and their ancestral manners. Instead of taking up residences in the capital cities, they lived upon their farms, where extensive but rude buildings arranged uh, without any rule but of convenience afforded the accommodation of the family and followers of the great French chief. Clothair, for instance, who is a son of Clovis, uh, usually lived uh, at Brain, on the banks of the little river, a few leagues of Sousson. They migrated with their families and households, conveyed in great wagons drawn by oxen from one farm to another. In short, they continued to live a rude ancestral life of the field and forest. They administered the affairs of the kingdoms with no lack of sanctity and vigour. They were often absent on warlike expeditions. In intervals of business, they hunted uh, the great game which abounded in the extensive forests, bear, wolf, and now extinct arc and wild cattle and stags. They banqueted and caroused with their companions. One special feature of their private life must not be omitted. Tactus praises the purity of the domestic life of the Germans, that the Frankish kings of history assumed uh, themselves a license of unbounded as the eastern as that of eastern sovereigns in the okay, go for it. multiplication of openly acknowledging wives and concubines. Oh dear. Um, and the children of these alliances were regarded all equally legitimate and the sons as entitled to an equal inheritance of their father's possessions, while their daughters were by Salic law equally excluded from the right of inheritance. This is Teutonic. Salic would be the um, that the early written law um, from Clovis. Uh, so they just like it. They just had heaps of wives. After three years of sole reign, Clothair, um, the last of the four brothers, died, and at, at the death of Clovis, the Frankish dominions were gained divided amongst a lot of four sons: Chalbert, Guntrun, Chilbert, Siegbert. Chilbert uh, took the kingdom of Paris, which extended lengthways from the north to south, included the towns of Senlis, Melon, Chartres, Tours, Pontier, Saintes, Bordeaux, and the towns near the Pyrenees. Gudrun took the kingdom of Orléans together with the Burgundian territories. Chilbert, the kingdom of Susson, and Siegbert received the Austrasian kingdom with the addition of some possessions of Avenge and southwestern province ceded by Australia by the Oscoths. What is remarkable in the division is that we find towns belonging to one king included within the territory of another, and some more important towns divided. Thus, Paris was divided between three Mistrasian kings, but all three were bound by oath not to enter it without permission of the others. Marseille was divided between uh, Sigbert and Ganton. Senlis was divided by Sigbert and Chilbert. There is reason to believe that 
the land of these towns, the Cochrane provinces, were treated as two distinct subjects of division. The lands were first divided into three parcels, and then the towns divided into three lots according to the value of their tribute. Uh, so that Paris was not really divided into three quarters, only the tribute was produced was divided amongst the kings. And the portion of the history upon which we now enter, we are fortunate enough to have the contemporary historian Gregory of Tours, one whose pages are unequalled for vivid incident and picturesque detail until we come down to the 14th century chronicler Forasat. Oh dear, so he's, there's nothing like Gregory of Tours, and 14th century is 500 years later. Oh, oh, not 500, 600 years later. The different characters of the four kings stand out well defined in his narrative. Chalbert, the king of Paris, appreciated the value of Roman civilization, prided himself in the knowledge of Latin and Roman law and his skill as a judge. He was not remarkable for much except uh, uh, for the number of his wives, but he has an adventurous interest in uh, for us Englishmen as, his, as the father of Bertha, who married King Elfbert of Kent and was instrumental in the conversion of her husband to Christianity, as her great-grandmother, Claudita, had been in the conversion of Clovis. Chilbert died after six years' reign, and his brothers divided the dominions amongst them. The character of King Gertham uh, was a strange mixture of qualities. Ordinary gentle in manner, timid, uh, pious, mostly saintly, was subject to sudden aspects of fierce old Frankish nature. My dear, Jekyll and Hyde type person. Uh, in him in fits of fury and deeds and violence, and he indulged in unbounded incontinence with his characteristics of his family. Still, he was, and it says incontinence, unbounded <laughs> urination everywhere. Still, he was a man of strong religious leanings. He was a warm friend of the church, exercised his power wisely in episcopal appointments, took bishops for his constant advices and affairs, conversed and ate with an unusually familiarity was regular in his attendance at the divine service of sermons. Gregory says, quote, you, have, you would have thought him a priest as well as a king. Uh, with priests, he was like a priest, says Fredericus. Uh, uh, he founded a monastery Chalon in Man, uh, in which the imitation of the Burgundian King Sigmundus foundation of St. Maurice instituted the Laris Perennius, a service of perpetual praise. There is a characteristic law of his commanding the observance of Sundays and holidays. The French church, in spite of its flaws in his character, enrolled his name amongst their saints. An anecdote of his life contains such a brief, uh, it's, contains such a brief state, so many curious traits and manners of the times that we give it entirely. Quote, the first year of King Chilbert, uh, which was the 29th year of King Guntham, uh, the latter hunting in the forest of Foscus, found uh, there the remains of Archox, uh, which had been killed. For the Ursus. Uh, okay, so the European bison or Archox still survives in the forests of Lithuania, Moldavia, and Walter carcass thanks to the severe laws of preservation. In, the, in his account of Barrack Forest, Caesar describes the species, the Ursus, thus. This is what they are. So this is Ursus. 
they are but little less than elephant in size and of appearance and colour and the form of a bull. Their strength, so what the heck is an ursus? Uh, their strength as well as their speed is very great. Their speed neither man nor beast uh, that they see is very great. So I wonder what an earth is. I'm going to look this up. Um, they cannot endure the sight of men or can they be tamed or even when taken young. The people who take them in pitfalls assiduously destroy them. Young men harden themselves in this labour and exercise themselves in a kind of chase. Um, and those who have killed great number, the horns are most probably exhibited as evidence of the fact obtain great honour. The horns of magnitude, shape, differ in quality much from the horns of our oxen. They are much more thoughtful and after having been edged with silver uh, at their open end, are used for drinking vessels of great feasts. So an ursus is something like a, a bull, something like that. No, okay. For, uh, together with a bear existed then in the wild wooded mountains in the country of the Franks. Quote, the keeper of the forest being severely examined as to who dare killed the Urcock in the royal forest named Cludon, king's chamberlain. It would seem that the Magovian kings had the same jealous regard of their wild bastards as William's, um, William the Norman had for deer, whom Saxon historians say he loved as if he had being their father. For Guthum gave orders to seize this high and trusty officer of the court and bring him to Chalons to be loaded uh, uh, loaded with bonds. The accuser and the accused were confronted at the presence of the king, and Colton maintained his innocence uh, of the deed which he was accused. The king ordered the combat. That's, well, let's have a trial by combat. It's sort of like we've sort of communism and uh, Nazism, let's have a big trial by combat. The trial by combat seems to be already fully established uh, with all its usages. The chaplain, being, uh, we supposed, an aged man, took the privilege of uh, combating uh, by champion and represented his nephew. Um, be bloody hell, it would be complicated. You'd have to be really into it. The fight in his place. The champions presented themselves in the lists. The young man, having thrust the lance at the keepers of the forest, wounded him in the foot. He fell, but the young man drew a knife which hung on his belt and cut his throat, and the other pierced his belly. Both fell dead. At the sight, Shauna took flight in order to seek sanctuary in the Basilica of Saint Marcel, but the king cried out to take him before he could be reached the sacred edifice. He was seized, fastened to a post, and stoned to death. Then Guntham, um, who, the strange compound of Christian mildness and Frankish philosophy, uh, repented greatly that he had yielded so readily to anger, and he put uh, and had put to death with so much precipitation for a single fault, as a man who was useful and faithful to him. Chilbrick, now he's a saint, my God. Chilbrick was perhaps the most able of the brothers. He has a long literary taste through Gregory of Tours, sneers at his attempts at Latin poetry for being full of false qualities, and lets us uh, tells us that the exposition of the doctrine of the Trinity, which he wished Gregory to adopt, was heretical. Hmm. Um, 
he invented two new letters to express two sounds of the Frankish speech not represented in the Latin alphabet. And we learn in the course of the story that he took an active interest in the public schools which were maintained in towns of his dominions. One prominent feature of his character was that he did not share common reverence for the church and the clergy. He did not hesitate to say that one bishop was foolish and another proud, or verbose or luxurious, this vain and that arrogant. He was accustomed to complain of the wealth of the churches. Quote, our fisc is impoverished while our wealth goes to churches. Truly, no one reigns with uh, these bishops. Our dignity is carried off by these city bishops. Few clerks in the time were made bishops. He gave the sees to his own sent creatures. Uh, the imagination of Gregory, um, says Gregory, can suggest no sort of debauchery or luxury which he did not practice. Unjust and cruel, he killed men in order to obtain their wealth. He had the eyes of criminals torn out. Shortly, in short, Gregory, who clearly has a special personal dislike to him, calls him a Nero and Herod of their times. Siegbert in Australia, um, so that's Germany, a Frank among his Franks, was perhaps more solid and reciprocal than the other brothers. Uh, the chief interest of the period gathers um, about Chilbrick and Siegbert. So Chilbrick's the one in France and the other one's in Germany. Uh, the other two brothers played minor parts in the story, or rather, the interest groups itself uh, of their queens of Fergunda and Brudhilda, with all but the dramatic interest of wild grand tragedy of days when human passions were more vehement and more unrestrained than in the later ages of civilization. Our next sentence will be introduced uh, the heroines of this strange drama. The king of Australia did not indulge in low amours, um, which were the feature of domestic life in the royal family, but sought a reputable life, um, uh, an equal alliance with the family of Anthelgild, king of the Goths in Spain. Brunhilde, the younger daughter of the Gothic king, had beauty, intellect and accomplishment, and was worthy to be a bride of a great king. The mayor of the palace, it's the first time we read such official, was sent to the embassy to Spain to demand her in marriage, and brought the young lady safely back to the bridegroom in midst, the Roman man of letters and a poet, Ventus Fortunus, whom we shall have to say more about hereafter, was present at the Strasian court, this is the German court, at the time of marriage, and composed an epithalium in honour of the occasion. So this is a long poem which would have survived. His brother's example fired Chilbert with the resolve to put away his own lone loves and contract a royal marriage. Brunhilde had an elder sister, Gales Winter. Chilbert, in return, sent an embassy to Spain to demand her hand in marriage, promising to break off all other connections and to give her sole rule of his heart and house. The historian draws a touching picture of the grief of Gustinda and the sympathy of her mother, of the delays she begged for, how the mother started to accompany the daughter a little way on her journey, but could not bear to part with her, and so travelled with her all day, and again the next morning would go a little way, and again not to part with her, and so travelled with her across Spain, and then the weeping women were only parted by the chief of the Gothic escort, who would not suffer the queen encountering the dangers 
which would have attended her return through the passes of the Pyrenees. So Pyrenees is quite an amazing mountain range at the base of France, between France and Spain. <coughs> I went over it through Andorra. Okay, our sympathy for the Queen Mother is somewhat moderated by the knowledge of her subsequent history. After the death of King Athgrith, which is the Goths thing, um, she married her brother, his brother, successor, um, Longrith, and raised uh, a persecution against Orthodox Spain. So she's a um, Aryan. So we don't have guys. So Orthodox believe in the Trinity. Uh, Aryans believe that the Son of God, Jesus, was a separate God. It was she who cruelly ill-treated her Orthodox granddaughter, Fergunda, daughter of Sigrid and Brunhilde. I oh, am yeah. married to the young Gothic prince Elmgrid, who embraced the Orthodox faith. Elmgrid rebelled and put uh, and was put to death. On the death of Elmgrid, his son uh, Rickus to see them avowed himself a Catholic, and the Synod of Toledo, attended by seventy bishops, established the Orthodox faith in Spain. So that's a a complex thing. So the mother was. Brunhilde, the Aryans, it's hard to understand this stuff now. Uh, the fears of the women were not groundless. In the short time, children grew tired of his royal bride and respectable domestic life. Fergunda, a girl of Frankish race, uh, once his former mistress, regained her influence over him. Galswinda, neglected by her husband, was insulted by her rival, demanded to be allowed to return to her father. A short time afterwards, she was found strangled in her bed. A rumor said that Fergunda had ordered Chilbrook, um, had uh, and Chilbrook had convinced, convined, convened, murdered her. So Fergunda is such a murdering. Brunhilde demanded justice on her sister's murders. King Gudthum, head of the Bergovian family, that thing, summoned a meeting at Mal and the assembly of the elders. Before the popular court of justice um, of the nation of the Franks, King Silbert accused his brother, King Kilbert, of the murder of his wife's sister, hapless Gathrinda, um, and both agreed to abide by the decision of the court. Under Germanic laws, the principle um, of compounding for homicide by fine uh, to the relations of the dead. Okay, so it just has to pay fine. Held prominent place. The elders of the Franks settled the controversy between the kings on this principle by giving the sentence Sulpic should forfeit Gathrinda's dowry to her sister Brunhilda. Not too much, too much is it? Oh, it's, oh, it's just amazing. This is the beginning of a long hatred between the two queens, um, which is Fergalang and Brunhilda. Uh, which forms the clue to the politics of the classical period. Happily, it's not necessary for us to enter into the history of the complicated civil contentions which followed. We can give the general character in the sentence, quote, Nothing in the joint reigns of Sigurd, Chilbert, Guntham is more distinguished than the perplexing to the reader the suddenness uh, with which they form and dissolve alliances with one another. The fickleness of their mutual friendships and the 
uh, placability of our enemies. With, uh, within the space of 10 years, we found Guntham and Chilbrook allied against Chilbrook, Chilbrook and Chilbert uh, against Guntham, Guntham and Chilbrook against Kildrick. Um and the parts were changed more once, uh, more than once during this period. Still, the general character of the Civil War is that uh, it's a context between the powerful Australian king, uh, stimu uh, stimulated into action by Brunhilde, seeking vengeance against her mother's sister's wrongs, and the talented, versatile Chilbricks, influenced by the beautiful French demon, by the beautiful demon, Vergonda. The war between the brothers reached a climax when Silbert invaded Nestrasia uh, for the second time, with an irresistible army composed not only of Franks but also of kindred nations, still barbarian and heathen, who acknowledged his sovereignty. It was like a second barbarian invasion of the Gothic province. The Nestrasian were unable to resist it and to arrest the ruin which threatened them, agreed to abandon Chilbert and choose Silbert as king. The ceremony is arranged to take place. Well, there you go. Um, so, Chilbrook is pushed out. Sigbert is in. The ceremony was arranged to take place at Vitry, near Tournai, on the borderline between the country uh, which was settled by the Franks and the country um, of which the Franks held military occupation. Brunhilde accompanied her lord with her children, her treasures, to share the triumph. Chilbrook was blockaded in a city neighbouring Tournai with Verganda, deserted by his subjects with no hope of escaping capture and death. Germanus, uh, Bishop of Paris, in vain interposed to the interests of peace. Prevented by sickness from joining the municipal and classical ma uh, magnates in their reception of Brunhilde uh, into their city, he addressed a letter to her, which still remains, in which he endeavours to enlist her interests in the side of peace, and praise her like another Eshan, uh, to use her wifely influence on the king. He points out how the kings, in fighting against each other, were injuring themselves. He concludes, against the man who could lay aside all fraternal affection, who could despise the counsel of a wife, and refuse to acknowledge the truth. All the prophets raise their voices, all apostles curse God himself, the all-powerful, would judge him. As Sigbert passed into Paris, on the way to Vitry, to be elected king of the Nestrasian Franks, um, Germanus appeared before him in the midst of the warriors, and made a last attempt to divert him from his intention, threatening a prophetic strain if he persisted in going to seek his brother's death. He, 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 he himself should die. So that's an interesting story. While Chilbrick sullenly, sullenly awaited the apparently inevitable end, the wicked genius of Fregonda in a moment revised the situation. Sigbert was assassinated in the midst of his victorious army by two men sent by Fregonda. The Australians at once dispersed and returned home. Each took after his own interests. <coughs> the subjects of Chilbrick relieved from their fears, returned to their allegiance, and some principal nobles of Australian came over to his side. Brunhilde was seized in Paris with her daughters and her treasures. Her son Chilbert uh, had been carried out of the city in a basket and arrived safely in Metz, and he was at once elected in his father's successor in the kingdom of Australia. Uh, 
Australasia. Chilbrick seized the treasure from Philbert, but threatened her, uh, treated her with consideration and assigned her Rouen for her residence. Here occurs another of the romantic episodes in which uh, history abounds. Megwit, son of Chilbrick, had seen Brunhilde in Paris and had fallen in love with her. <coughs> Sent by her father on a military expedition um, to Aquitaine, uh, he had instead written to, off to Rouen, and the bishop of uh, Bishop Pretextus, who uh, was his godfather, uh, had the affection of affliction, affection of a father for him. Was induced to marry him to the widowed queen, notwithstanding they uh, they were forbidden in relation um, were in the forbidden relations of aunt and nephew. Chilbert came to Rouen. The couple took sanctuary in the precincts of a little wooden church of Saint Martin, built on the ramparts of the town. Chilbert gave them an assurance of safety and kept his promise. But shortly afterwards, the Australians sent. Uh, to demand the widow and daughter of their late and mother and sister were present. King uh, and Chilbert gladly allowed them to part, but fearing a conspiracy to replace him by Merigwick, he uh, condemned Merigwick to save his hair cut, and to have his hair cut, and for he ordained a priest, and exiled him to a monastery in the Mans. We have occasion on in another chapter to relate how the young man refused to submit to the sentence of civil death and fled to us, where he took sanctuary in the precincts of the Church of St. Mountain, uh, uh, and what kind of life he led there. The end of the story of this misguided young man is that, escaping from his sanctuary, he sought refuge uh, with his wife, Brunhilde, in Australia, but the nobles would not allow him to remain. After some adventures, he was induced at last to enter into plots against his father, uh, was led by fragments intrigues to enter his dominions in the belief that the party would take up arms in his behalf, but was entrapped. Rather than surrender to the task of the indignities and cruelties which Fregelance, uh, might await him, he, uh, like another Saul, bade his faithful brother of arms to kill him, and so perished. In the latter part of the reign of Guntram, uh, was disturbed by pretensions of uh, Guntervald, an illegitimate and unacknowledged son of Clothair. Uh, Duke Gorton Brose, a high-born, reckless, desperate adventurer, who had attempted at Medwick to resist his father's sentence, and so often appears in the stormy history of the time. Gorton Brose, on a visit to Constantinople, found the young man there, and put ambitious designs in his head. It would seem as if the court of Constantinople encouraged him and assisted him with some treasure. And the young Frank was accused of having agreed to hold a territory he might acquire in dependence of the empire. Duke Momolos, a patrician uh, of Avarange, the most famous general of the time, embraced his cause with Duke Waldo, Bishop Sagittarius and Theodos, and others great nobles of the south. The great towns of the south also opened their gates to him, uh, for the whole of the southern Gaul would gladly have escaped the sovereignty of a barbarian of the north and west, and replaced themselves under the empire. At first, Chilbert of Australasia favoured the invaders' pretensions, 
But in the end, Gunnar, deserted by all his allies, was taken in the town of Cummins and put to death. So, there you go. Everyone's been poisoned and put to death and set against each other. And thus ends chapter, episode 5 and chapter 5. another story comes to a close it's been a pleasure sharing this moment in time with you may you discover truly amazing things understand them and tell others thanks for listening